Here it is. From deep inside your audio device of choice. Now, news of the land of 15,000 princes. Our freedom-loving friends in Saudi Arabia. Huh. Huh. You know, uh, by now, two big explosions at uh, Saudi Arabian oil facilities attributed to the Houthi rebels whom the Saudis have roped Britain and the United States into fighting against in Yemen. But meanwhile, back at home, home of our freedom-loving friends, a prominent Saudi women's rights activist, Lujain al-Hatiul, has rejected a proposal from the Saudi government to release her from prison in exchange for her making a video statement denying reports that she was tortured while in custody. She was arrested more than a year ago with at least a dozen other women's rights activists way back when Saudi Arabia ended the ban on women driving cars. The detainees had long campaigned for that, and their reward was to be imprisoned. Some of them appeared in court earlier this year to face charges relating to human rights work and contacts with foreign journalists and diplomats. The trial hasn't convened in months. The case has drawn global criticism, provoked anger, reviving memories of the... What was that, the Khashoggi murder? Yeah. At least three of the women, according to rights groups, were held in solitary for months and subjected to abuse, including electric shocks, flogging, and sexual assault all of which Saudi officials deny. They said the arrests were made on suspicion of harming Saudi interests. You don't want to do that. And offering support to hostile elements abroad. In March, the women, some of them, described in a closed court session the mistreatment they'd experienced, according to sources. She initially agreed to sign a document denying she'd been subject to torture and harassment, according to her brother Walid. But... Recently, state security officials asked her not just to sign a document, but to make the denial on video. And that was a line she wouldn't cross. Her siblings allege that Saud al-Qatani, at the time a senior advisor to the Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, also implicated in Khashoggi's murder, was present during some of the torture sessions and threatened to rape and kill her. The charges against Hatiul include communicating with up to 20 foreign journalists in Saudi Arabia, attempting to apply for a job at the U.N., and attending digital privacy training, according to her brother. You don't want to be doing those things. It's a freedom-loving country. Last Sunday, Sabah, this is back to the Khashoggi murder. Sabah is a Turkish newspaper. It released tidbits from the trial surrounding that murder. No one else has those tidbits, or any bits. Naming the five men who face execution if found guilty, and giving details about their testimony. The newspaper has uh, gone on to release further details, including new excerpts, it says, are from the transcripts of the audio tapes inside the Saudi consulate in Istanbul, where Khashoggi was killed and dismembered. We must dismember this. Sabah is known as being close to the Turkish head of uh, government, uh, Mr. Erdogan, and as his government's favorite conduit for leaks. Much of the information has been confirmed by Western officials 
to the New York Times and other media outlets and was included in a report on the killing by the U.N. expert on extrajudicial killings, which this qualifies as. She has called for an international investigation into Saudi officials' role in the murder. The uh, latest series of articles in Sabah appears aimed at undercutting testimony from the trial that seemed to exonerate senior officials close to the Saudi crown prince and lay blame solely on the men who carried out the killing. That was, of course, the government's line at the time. On Monday, the newspaper published details of conversations of Saudi officials before and during the killing, said they reinforced the claim that the murder had been planned. Those audio tapes widely reported to have been compiled from listening devices inside the consulate. Oh no, the Turks were bugging the Saudis. Turkish officials could not be reached to confirm or deny the details published by Sabah. But at least that keeps the story alive for forgetting another day. Hello, welcome to the show. Liked it better that way. So take me back to Constantinople. No, you can't go back to Constantinople. Been a long time gone. Constantinople, why did Constantinople get the works? That's nobody's business but the Turks. Istanbul. New Amsterdam Why they changed it I can't say You just liked it better that way Istanbul is Constantinople Now it's Istanbul and Constantinople Been a long time gone to Constantinople Why did Constantinople get the works? That's nobody's this about the Turks No, you can't go back to Constantinople. Been a long time gone. Constantinople, why did Constantinople get the works? That's nobody's business but the Turks. Istanbul. From Santa Monica, California, home of the homeless, I'm Harry Shearer welcoming you to this particular, this one right here, edition of the show. And now, ladies and gentlemen, News of the Olympic Movement. 
Produced by Jim Ebersole, the third. Well, ask your doctor if the Olympics is right for you. One of Japan's top doctors has slammed the decision to hold the Olympics at the height of Tokyo's baking summer, warning that heat stroke will be the biggest risk during the Games. In an interview with Agence France Presse, Dr. Kimiyuki Nagashima, he's the executive board member of the Japan Medical Association, the JMA, sounded the alarm that the Olympics will stretch the country's doctors. Yow! At a time when local families are most at risk from the heat. And it's not just the heat. Dr. Nagashima cautioned against the risk of communicable diseases as people fly in from around the world and gather en masse. That means um, in a big pile in the center. Measles is thought to be a particular risk as many Japanese are not adequately vaccinated as children. It's an anti-vaccine country. What's her name? Jennifer who? My personal opinion as an individual is that sporting events should be held in a comfortable environment, says the doctor. I don't think it's agreeable to hold it in an inappropriate period at an inappropriate location due to business and economic concerns, he said. The sweaty Tokyo summer is, quote, generally speaking, not a suitable place for outdoor sports and for their spectators. The doctor is an orthopedic surgeon who oversees the JMA's sports medicine activities. This is interesting. In the city's document applying to win the games, Tokyo said the competition period between July 4th and August 9th, followed by the Paralympics, quote, provides an ideal climate for athletes to perform at their best with, quote, many days of mild and sunny weather, unquote. Last summer, nearly 93,000 people sought emergency care across Japan during the summer, with 159 of them dying. And the U.S. Justice Department is pursuing multiple wide-ranging criminal investigations into sexual abuse in U.S. Olympic sports organizations and into potential financial and business misconduct throughout the Olympic system in the U.S., according to people familiar with the investigations, speaking to the Wall Street Journal. The investigations show the continuing legal pressure faced by top sports and law enforcement organizations, including U.S. Olympic Committee, USA Gymnastics, and the FBI in the wake of the explosive sexual abuse case against former national gymnastics team doctor Larry Nassar. That scandal, which erupted three years ago, sent USA Gymnastics into bankruptcy, led to resignations, arrests, lawsuits, and congressional hearings. Now federal investigators are operating on several different tracks. The Justice Department's money laundering and child exploitation units and the U.S. Attorney's Office in Washington sent grand jury subpoenas earlier this year to a range of entities, including the U.S. Olympic Paralympic Committee and the U.S. Center for Safe Sport, a nonprofit set up a couple years ago to handle reports of abuse in Olympic sports. A person familiar with aspects of the investigation said the inquiry appeared to be examining, quote, failures in the Olympic system writ large to respond to signs of widespread child abuse, unquote. Investigators are broadly considering questions of whether power dynamics at work in the billion-dollar U.S. Olympic system amount to exploitation, according to other people familiar with the investigation. Justice Department declined to comment because the Olympics is a, is a, well, it's a movement. Hey, we all need one. 
every day. And now, really early in the show, the apologies of the week. First of all, what's becoming um, a regular feature of the show, the Facebook apology of the week. Facebook apologized Friday to Margarita Simonyan, Simonyan, the editor-in-chief of Russia's government-run RT and Sputnik news networks. Facebook had wrongly flagged one of her posts as a violation of the platform's standards and suspended her account. If during the review process we discover we made a mistake, we restore the removed content when possible and apologize, as happened in this case. That's from Facebook. Funded and controlled by the Kremlin, Sputnik and RT have had a fraught relationship with social media companies since the whole 2016 thing. Facebook appeared to escalate tensions this week when it hit Simeonian's personal account with a three-day suspension over the content of one of her posts. The company won't say which post. The move appeared to be part of a broad crackdown. Why crackdown? Oh, sorry. The same day Facebook unveiled a new preamble to its lengthy rulebook setting out what you can and can't do on the platform and took action against a number of other accounts, according to the Daily Beast, including a chatbot operated for Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. I'm just sorry I missed that bot. Now, celebrity apologies. David Cameron, former Prime Minister of Great Britain, in an interview with the Times of London this weekend, quote, I did not fully anticipate the strength of feeling that would be unleashed both during the referendum about Brexit and afterwards, and I am truly sorry to have seen the country I love so much suffer uncertainty and division in the years since then. My view remains that this was the right approach to take to renegotiate Britain's relationship with the EU. I believe that particularly with the Eurozone crisis, the organization was changing before our very eyes. But I know there were those there, there are those who will never forgive me for holding the referendum or for failing to deliver the outcome, staying in a reformed EU, that I sought. I deeply regret the outcome and accept that my approach failed. The decisions I took contributed to that failure. I failed. Unquote. David Cameron. Also in the celebrity apology file, former Desperate Housewives star Felicity Huffman having some infelicity. She was sentenced this week to 14 days in prison for her involvement in the nationwide college admissions bribery scandal. I am sorry to you, Judge Talwani, said Huffman during the hearing. As a federal judge, you represent our country's legal system and the laws I have broken. I am deeply sorry to the students, parents, colleges, and universities impacted by my actions. She got, uh, as I say, 14 days in prison. Ouch! A year of probation, 250 hours of community service, and a $30,000 fine. She was charged earlier this year, along with 30 other parents, for taking part in the scheme. As part of the cheating scheme, Huffman convinced her daughter's psychologist to help her get accommodations for the SAT exam, extra time, and a one-on-one examination, which helped facilitate having the agent for Rick Singer, the guy at the heart of this scheme, correct her test score. Huffman admitted to paying $15,000 to Singer's agent to correct her daughter's SAT scores. She uh, noted during her plea her daughter was not aware that she paid a bribe to improve the SAT score. Millie Bobby Brown is apologizing to her fans for pretending to apply skin care products in a recent demo video. The star of Stranger Things, all of 15, 
previously posted a video meant to portray her going through her nightly skin care routine. And who doesn't have one of those? But fans were quick to point out, according to People magazine, that Brown wasn't actually using the products or even water. Her makeup stayed perfectly intact throughout the entire video. She says in her apology show, fans, she hopes fans will keep the feedback coming. I'm still learning the best way to share my routines as I get to know this space better. I'm not an expert, she wrote in an Instagram post. I thought doing a quick video replicating my personal process for the night was okay, but that's not what was conveyed. I understand. I appreciate all of your feedback on this journey. It's all a journey, isn't it? In the video, Brown pretends to put skin care products from her recently launched beauty line but doesn't appear to wash her face, actually, despite th saying things like, so I'm just applying now while rubbing her face, and okay, so I just wipe that off. She's wearing eye makeup in the video. It stays put the entire time. Fans pointed out online that the Godzilla actress, hey, <laughs> was in fact putting nothing on her face. I should have done that. And the puzzling video even inspired headlines like, what exactly is Millie Bobby Brown doing in this skincare routine video? Brown told People she thought there's a void in the market for young people, and I think every young person deserves to have a good start to skincare routine and beauty routine. Beauty and skincare is always evolving, and my uh, my skincare product line is going to grow with it and a lot of other people like me. It's going to create a family. I'm really excited for Generation Z to evolve and for my brand to evolve with it. So she's learned a lot. A video clip of Shane Gillis using an anti-Asian racial slur resurfaced on Twitter this week, just hours after he was announced as one of three new Saturday Night Live cast members. A further look by Variety at his publicly posted works reveals a long history of denigrating women, Muslims, and the LGBTQ plus community, among other groups. In an episode of Gillis' podcast, he tells comedian Matt McCusker, Chinatown's effing nuts. Let the effing C-H-N-K-S live there, he says. He later recalls a restaurant being full of effing Chinese in there. Chinese in there, actually, is what he said. The video recording of their podcast session has been deleted from YouTube. Elsewhere in that episode, Gillis and his partner discuss the various religions' views of heaven. Gillis proclaims Muslim heaven is the best. There's only one way there, dude, replies his partner. you got to spill blood. The video was brought to Variety's attention by a freelance writer and editor who covers comedy. I think comedy deserves to be covered with a tarp. After the translation between you and the waiter when you go to a Chinese restaurant is such an effing hassle, says Gillis, about going to Chinese restaurants. During the same podcast recording, Gillis comments that their conversation is, quote, nice racism, good racism. In another podcast, Gillis uses the word retard and F-got, and shortly thereafter, he and McCusker, his partner, joke about hot Southern boys being raped during the Civil War, comparing it to having gay sex in jail. All right, let's get to the apology, shall we? I'm a comedian who pushes boundaries. I sometimes miss. I'm happy to apologize to anyone who's actually offended by anything I've said. His intention is never to hurt anyone, but I'm trying to be the best comedian I can be, and sometimes that requires risks. He was... 
recently recognized as a new face at the Just for Laughs Festival in Montreal. So I guess that means he's had plastic surgery. You know, it's a good it's a good thing for the show because now they don't have to pay attention to politics. They can just write sketches about themselves. Kobe Bryant's trying really hard to win over the Internet after he seemed to chide a seventh grader for missing a basketball game because she attended her dance recital instead. He got slammed on social media for being a stage mom of sorts, according to the Grio. People upset with how he addressed the girl who was on his daughter's basketball team. His comments were on Instagram. He said, in part, the team got fourth place because the seventh player missed this game for a dance recital, so that should tell you where her focus was at the time, unquote. He then backtracked after the social media wrath, says he didn't mean to offend. He tried to clean up the caption by saying he meant she enjoyed dance more than ball, which is fine. Sorry if it came across as a slight. Trust me, it wasn't. He got stung on the Internet from what, what many believed to be an unsympathetic attack on a kid. He has since apologized for his error in judgment, tried to connect with his fans by posting a video of him dancing when he was 12. When I was 12, I skipped basketball for two weeks so I could dance in a school show. I'm all about diversifying while young, then locking in on your passion, unquote. Clearly, his passion wasn't passing the ball. An employee of National Public Radio in Delhi, India, resigned after a tweet by her on Hinduism this week triggered outrage for Khan Khan, who is a producer with the public radio network, had tweeted, quote, if Indians give up on Hinduism, they will also be solving most of their problems. What with all the urine, urine drinking, she used a one-syllable word for that, and dung-worshipping, unquote. Now we get to her apology. I wholeheartedly apologize for my tweet earlier. It was ill-considered and unacceptable. I deleted it. I didn't mean to disparage Hinduism or hurt anyone's feelings. It doesn't reflect my beliefs and principles. Please accept my sincere regret. I'll be off Twitter for a while. And NPR. Hey, Kent State is back in the news after four decades. It stopped an NCAA Division I field hockey game. You only see that during the Olympics, usually. Between the University of Maine and Temple University in in order to set off fireworks for the Kent State football game. Maine and Temple had gone into double overtime when a Kent State official came out of the field citing fire marshal regulations for calling the game. Kent State officials, according to uh, Temple's coach, denied the team's suggestion to go directly into a shootout to determine a winner. Kent State officials offered to complete the game three hours later after the football game was over and pay hotel costs for the Temple team. Those teams declined. The game was then reclassified as an exhibition match. Kent State originally put out a statement that did not include an apology. We regret today's game had to be stopped during overtime play per field guidelines as previously discussed. After considerable backlash from the National Field Hockey Coaches Association, of course there's one, Kent State's athletic director Joel Nielsen actually did apologize to the two schools, Temple and Maine, not not an intersection. We will take this opportunity to learn from this experience, says the apology. I can assure you that we have already reviewed and altered our procedures to see that no student-athletes are faced with, this, faced with this situation in the future. I wish the field hockey teams from both schools the very best this season. The Field Hockey Association's statement said, Both programs were made aware of the 10.30 a.m. stoppage of play via an email last May. The university failed to communicate the steps that would be taken should the hard stop be reached. The 
office of the Field Hockey Association, has reviewed the game contract, cannot find any reference to the hard stop, nor can we find any information regarding what would happen if the game was not completed prior to reaching the drop-dead time. Unquote. Not probably the most felicitous phrase to use with regard to Ken State. But that's just me. And uh, not quite a celebrity, but Reed Hoffman, the founder of LinkedIn and one of Silicon Valley's most high-profile venture capitalist, capital investors, apologized this week for his role in helping to repair the image of convicted sex offender Jeffrey Epstein. In an email to the website Axios, Hoffman acknowledged several interactions with Epstein, which he said were the for, for the purpose of fundraising for MIT's Media Lab. He'd been told MIT had vetted and approved Epstein's Epstein's participation in fundraising, but said his decision to be involved with Epstein was nonetheless a mistake. I helped to repair his reputation and perpetuate injustice. For this, I am deeply regretful, Hoffman said. He is now officially linked out. You don't often hear an apology from al-Qaeda. We got that this week. An al-Qaeda affiliate responsible for attacks across West Africa said, as it apologized for the deaths of our brothers and sons, it was sorry for the deaths in Mali as a bus they were traveling in hit a landmine meant for the French occupier and its acolytes. The apology was first published by its media outlet, Az Zalaka, and shared on social media, though rare al-Qaeda and its affiliates have in the past apologized for incidents in Syria, Iraq, and Yemen. But for Mali, plagued by Islamist violence for the last seven years, it's a first. A school district in Ohio is apologizing for posting photos that showed students with fake blood stains during an active shooter drill. Yes, this is 2019. Officials with the Toledo Public Schools say the photos have been removed from a Facebook post that prompted complaints. The photos showed High school students looking lifeless and others with red marks resembling blood on their clothes and bodies. Some people, according to the AP, commented they found the photos disturbing. A school spokeswoman said the district takes safety very seriously and apologized if if anyone found the post inappropriate. If apology. And now an apology from PewDiePie. I am Pepe Le Pew. No, PewDiePie. After announcing plans to donate to an anti-hate group in order to move past a series of controversies, YouTube star PewDiePie is backtracking. His real name, Felix Kjellberg, announced this week he would make a $50,000 donation to the Anti-Defamation League. He's come under fire in recent years for anti-Semitic content in his videos, including when he paid a man to hold up a sign saying, quote, death to all Jews. Unquote. He also apologized two years ago after shouting the N-word while playing a video game. But Kjellberg's plans to do- donate to the ADL sparked backlash among his fans, who objected to the organization's past condemnation of material in his videos, which Kjellberg has argued were just jokes taken out of context. So he had explained he thought the donation was important because, quote, I wanted to show publicly that I can move past it and move on. Despite that, he's now calling it off, according to The Verge. In a video, he said he made a mistake by not selecting a charity he is personally passionate about, while saying he did not know a lot of things about the ADL until fans pointed them out. I'm sorry for messing this up, Kjellberg added. He says he still plans to donate the $50,000, 
to a different charity that has not been announced. Trump has a foundation, doesn't he? After a nine-month investigation, the Catholic Diocese of Juneau, Alaska, determined that there is credible evidence that seven men who served the diocese in the past half-century engaged in sexual misconduct against minors and vulnerable adults. This is reported by the Skagway News, reporting an independent commission's findings. The diocese is aware that there may be other instances of sexual misconduct against minors and vulnerable adults that have not been identified in the commission's review or were never reported, said the bishop in a letter accompanying the release of the report. If additional information becomes available, the list will be updated. Francis Cowgill, Pius X School in Skagway, Javier Gutierrez, Sacred Heart Church, Patrick Hurley, signed to St. Therese, Edmund Penniston, I'm going to pronounce it Penniston, assigned to Sacred Heart Church, and Frederick Rosler, Eucharistic minister at St. Therese. All but Penniston were alleged to have committed sexual misconduct involving minors during the time they were working in Skagway. Says the bishop, to the survivors of clerical sexual abuse, I want to say there are no words that can restore the innocence that was cruelly and unjustly stolen from you. I apologize to you, your family, friends, and community, in the name of the church. Something's going on in Michigan. Michigan parade organizers posted a statement after receiving backlash for flying a Confederate battle flag in Charlotte. Frontier Days Parade. Mounted color guard riders were displaying the flag during an event. Organizers apologized on Facebook who, to people who were upset in regards to the mounted color guard flying a Confederate flag. The board of directors of the parade say they understand the concerns and feelings that some some may have in regards to the mounted color guard flying a Confederate flag in our parade. The mission of the color guard is to bring all of these beautiful banners before the public eye to serve as a reminder of all the battles fought and won so that we might enjoy the freedom and liberty we have today. We sincerely, sincerely apologize to anyone whose feelings have been upset. They didn't show a Nazi flag, did they? We fought against them, too. And also in Michigan, the Posen Chamber of Commerce, Posen, Michigan, apologized late this week for a swastika reportedly seen on the vest of a motorcyclist at the Potato Festival Parade. That'll fry your Frenches. Im- image. Ah, the French. Thank you, Orson. Uh, images of the swastika circulated on social media as several festival attendees criticized the parade, which included a Trump unity bridge float for being too political. Uh, someone who marched, rode in the parade, actually, with the Bikers for Trump group, said the individual photograph with a swastika on his vest was not affiliated with her group. The uh, Chamber of Commerce said, We understand many are concerned and we're frightened at their presence in the parade. We'd like to make it clear we condemn this incident and apologize to all those who attended the festival this year. Next year, we'll take extra precautions and prevent something like this from happening again. Unquote. Fox Nation host Tommy Lahren apologized after Democratic presidential candidate Julian Castro blasted her for her comments, suggesting that Americans would have to shoot immigrants coming across the border to protect themselves. Not what I meant, and I apologize for the way it came out. I simply mean without a secure border, we don't know who's coming into our nation, and those who wish to do us harm will exploit it. I'm not advocating for violence against any person, regardless for race or immigration status. She said she had said on Fox Business 
You can't depend on the government to protect you at all times. That's what so many Americans forget is they put their safety and security in the hands of the government. The government is going to fail you. If Democrats want to open our borders, you better be sure the people in Texas, people in South Dakota, the people in the middle of this country, we're going to be armed and ready because we have to have a means to defend ourselves from who knows who's coming in. Unquote. She's sorry about that. Dateline Lodi, California, the owner of Viaggio Winery, is apologizing after receiving backlash for refusing to host a Sacramento couple's gay wedding. I am sincerely sorry to have caused anyone pain at a time that should be joyous, said owner Terry Lawrence. The Zania Reyes said she and her fiancé, Alex Biddle, reached out to the wedding venue for their upcoming wedding. She received an email response from Viaggio that read in part, While we welcome your business, we have never hosted a same-sex marriage. The owner has a very strong personal religious belief regarding marriage, which is for marriage to be between heterosexual couples only. The apology reads in part, Our staff, our customers, and our community have helped me see that I was wrong. Our policy has been changed, effective immediately. All couples are welcome to hire our facilities for weddings and the celebrations that go with them. That's from Terry Lawrence, the owner. She realized her decision was hurtful, as she said the winery now welcomes all couples for wedding ceremonies. The apologies of the week, ladies and gentlemen, copyrighted feature of this broadcast.
This is the show. One of the um, amazing kinds of political jujitsu that happen is when uh, an attack, however well planned or planned and uh, unleashed, becomes the story rather than the uh, target of the attack because of the, uh, I don't know, the... uh, perceived unfairness of the attack. Now, this speaks to something I've been saying for a while to friends, which is folks who say that uh, Donald Trump has irretrievably changed the political culture of this country have got it all wrong. Donald Trump was a TV celebrity. TV celebrities don't have to obey the rules. Just ask O.J. Simpson. But this will bounce back so fast, ladies and gentlemen, it will make O.J. Simpson's head spin. And so we have the spectacle of Julian Castro uh, being pilloried, not Hillaryed, but pilloried for uh, what was clearly a pre-planned attack on Joe Biden's memory during the uh, debate this week, um, which totally took attention away from this, from Joe Biden, talking about the need to expose young children pre-preschool children to a lot of words. Here are a lot of words. Talk about education. I propose that what we take is those very poor schools, the Title I schools, triple the amount of money we spend from 15 to 45 billion a year, give every single teacher a raise to the equal raise of getting out the $60,000 level. Number two, make sure that we bring in to help the the, the teachers deal with the problems that come from home. The problems that come from home, we need, we have one school psychologist for every 1,500 kids in America today. It's crazy. The teachers are, and I'm married to a teacher. My deceased wife is a teacher. They have every problem coming to them. We have make sure that every single child does, in fact, have three, four, and five-year-olds go to school. School, not daycare. School. We bring social workers into homes of parents to help them deal with how to raise their children. It's not that they don't want to help. They don't, want, they don't know quite what to do. Play the radio. Make sure the television, the, excuse me, make sure you have the record player on at night. The, the, the phone. Make sure the kids hear words. A kid coming from a very poor school, or a very poor background, will hear four million words fewer spoken by the time they get there. That was Joe Biden at the uh, debate this week. Now to the person he's supposedly most likely to defeat, most electable, against uh, (laughs) President Trump, who this week bade farewell to his national security advisor. This would be the third in his administration, looking for a fourth now. John Bolton, uh, who was a notorious war hawk. I think uh, Trump himself had said that uh, Bolton had never met a war he didn't want to start or a regime he didn't want to uh, change. But the... um, Reason for the uh, departure of Bolton, who portrayed it as a resignation, whereas Trump portrayed it as a firing, apparently, according to recent reporting, was uh, disagreement over whether the sanctions, which are now crippling the Iranian economy, should be backed off to set the stage for talks between Trump and the uh, president of Iran. Bolton, I think, preferred to bomb them. I don't know, That's that may be uh, a bit harsh. 
on my part. Anyway, uh, there was the reaction to that, the fact that the, Trump is now reviewing um, possible ideas for a new national security advisor. And, of course, there's still repercussions there are from um, the controversy over Trump's insistence providing a hand-drawn map as evidence that uh, Hurricane Dorian, which devastated the Bahamas, was uh, on the Sunday before it reached the Bahamas, uh, possibly going to hit Alabama much harder than people thought. Those were Trump's words. It was not at that point on any map put out by the government, and that was a source of some discomfort to the president. Reporting since then has indicated that uh, Wilbur Ross, the Secretary, Secretary of Commerce, was tasked by the acting Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney with uh, getting after people at the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, under which the National Weather Service sits, to um, get them to defend Trump's claim that Alabama was targeted and uh, to punish the people at the National Weather Service in Birmingham, Alabama, Birmingham, who had said, no, 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 Alabama is not in any danger. Sounds like reality. This week, for the first time, a team of rivals has become a team with one less rival. And for the businessman turned chief executive, task number one is to make sure his personnel and his scientists stay on task number one. Mike. Mr. President, uh, I've never admired you more than this week. Huh? The line about the light bulbs making me look orange? <laughs> that was good, too, but uh, I meant by standing up to our friend, Mr. Bolton. Mike, I can tell you this. Mm -hmm. I thought about appointing him when I first got here, and the more I thought about it, the more I thought, I can't stand to look at that stupid mustache for four years. <laughs> yes, sir. Turns out, big surprise, I was right. Not even those damn light bulbs can make him look good. Well, the point is... The point is, everybody's telling me I need a new national security advisor. Well, uh, traditionally, that's been a pretty important post in uh, any administration to uh, coordinate input from state, defense, uh, the intel community. Mike! Mm -hmm. Mike, I'm not an idiot. I know how to use the damn phone. If those people want to share some so-called insights, they call me direct. Yes. Or... They can save themselves the trouble and just go on Fox News. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Of course they can. A lot less meetings that way. You see? You get it? Mm. This place is all about meetings. <laughs> you know how many meetings we used to have when I ran the Trump Organization? Oh, not very many, I bet. Here's a meeting. I follow Don Jr. to the men's room. Mm -hmm. I lock the door and tell him to shake the crap up or change his name because he's embarrassing me. End of meeting. That I can tell you. Meaning you both left the men's room? I did. Who the hell knows what he did? For all I know, he's still in there. So look, uh -huh. just to not give the fake news more reasons to attack me, I need a new national security... What's this? Advisor. Look, I need more advisors like I need a third ball. Anyway, you've been a great secretary of state. Oh, thank you, sir. He's kind of like a national security advisor, right? Well... So uh, why don't you do both? Do your input thing with your own input as well as the guy at defense and the deep state mafia over there. That's one less person you have to meet with, because it's you. 
It's a great idea, sir. Not sure it's been done all that often before. Kissinger was both. Lou Dobbs told me. Not gonna argue with Lou. Honestly, sir, you know Mitch is leaning on me pretty hard to go back to Kansas and run for the Senate. Do that, too. Do it all. Here's the thing. You're a do-it-all kind of guy, like me. Well, but if we lose the Senate, your, your, your second term will be as frustrating as hell. You know, the only time this gig isn't frustrating is when I'm riffing in front of crowds the likes of which nobody has ever seen. <laughs> so, you can't accomplish your task? Sir, mm-hmm. like you, the good Lord has chosen me for this moment. A lot of unborn voters are looking to us to retain the Senate. Okay, good. Make sure you get their emails. I think my favorite thing about him is uh, his sense of humor. He's, he's like a more down-to-earth Bob Hope. Wilbur. Yes, sir. Good to see you. You're one of the few people in my cabinet without the word acting in front of your title, right? I guess that's true. You know why? Well, as a cost-saving move, we never hired a press secretary, so... We don't issue a lot of press releases. You heard a lot of that fake news about me thinking about firing you after we lost the census thing? Oh, I don't take anything seriously that I read, Mr. President. You know that. Okay. And the fake news about you threatening to fire some people at NOAA or NWS or N-something, about not backing me up about Alabama and Doris or Dorian, whatever that storm was called? Uh, That fake news was true, sir. See, this is why you're so very not fired. I mean, I hate firing people anyway. I know that, although... Yeah, right, I have my Twitter. (laughs) So listen, you've got a very important task for this week. Mick Mulvaney tells me there are three or four tropical storms forming out in the ocean right now. That's what the NOAA people tell me. Very preliminary. Okay, now, while they're still way out away from us, get me some maps showing them possibly tracking towards Alabama. I don't need another situation where I have to do my own map, right? No reason you should ever be in that position, sir. Um, Any storm in particular? Humberto, Imelda, Jerry? Hey, listen. Your people are the profession. Imelda. That was like the crazy shoe lady in the Philistines, right? Okay, make it Imelda. Just something to show next time crazy Jim Acosta asks me about Alabama. We may get some pushback from the science people about... You know what? Let them be science people in their homes. When they're on the clock, they're my science people, right? I suppose Can you do it? Because I'd hate for those fake news stories about you being fired to start up again. Me too, sir. Me too. New team. New tasks. Same mission. We're going to make the National Security Advisor great again. Now, the world is his boardroom. Via Presidentus. This week... Because it can always get weirder. We lived our little drama. We kissed in a field of white. Stars fell on Alabama last night I can't forget the glamour Your eyes held a tender light While stars fell on Alabama last night 
I never planned in my imagination a situation so heavenly, a fairyland where no one else could enter, and in the center, just you and me. My heart beat like a hammer. My arms wound around you tight, and stars fell on Alabama last night. We lived our drama. We kissed in a field of white, and stars fell on Alabama last night. I can't forget the glamour. Your eyes held a tender light, and stars fractured Bama last night. I never planned in my imagination a situation so heavenly. A fairyland where no one else could enter, and in the center, just you and me. My heart beat just like a hammer. Arms wound around you tight, while stars fell on Alabama last night. Say one word to you. Just one word. Yes, sir. Are you listening? Yes, I am. Microplastics. Think about it. Will you think about it? Yes, I will. Enough said. Okay, I'll think about it too. And I'll talk about it. A new study from the University of South Florida and Eckerd College estimates the waters of Tampa Bay in Florida, contain four billion particles of microplastics. This raises new questions about the impact of pollution on marine life in that vital ecosystem, according to fizz.org. It's not a soft drink publication. This is a fir- it's with a pH. This is the first measurement of microplastic abundance and distribution in South Florida. Researchers hope the findings will provide necessary data to inform the debate, <laughs> the debate around policies to reduce plastic in the marine environment. I didn't know there was a debate. I thought there was just lovely, lovely silence. Microplastics, as you know, particles less than an eighth of an inch, barely or not at all visible to the naked eye. They come from the breakdown of larger plastics, such as water bottles, fishing gear and plastic bags, or from synthetic clothing. We're still wearing that, right? And other items that may contain elements of plastics. Very little is known about how much microplastics are out there and the full consequences of these particles on marine life, says Kinsley McEachran, the first author of the study and a graduate student recently at University of South Florida, St. Petersburg. But emerging research, he continues, indicates a wide range of impacts on marine ecosystems from the large accumulation of microplastics. study revealed the predominant type in Tampa Bay in both water and sediment are the thread-like fibers that are generated by fishing lines, nets, and the washing of synthetic clothes. Synthetic fibers are released from the clothes while they're being laundered. 
discharged to wastewater treatment plants, and eventually released into the bay. The next largest source are fragments that come from the breakdown of larger plastics, your bottles, your other stuff. And new research shows the presence of microplastics can stunt the growth of earthworms. At last! Those damn... and even cause them to lose weight. Why, it's the earthworm diet, potentially having a serious impact on the soil ecosystem. Study being published in the journal Environmental Environmental Science and Technology is the first to measure the effects of microplastics on endogeic worms. They live in the topsoil. All right, moving on up. Academics from Anglia Ruskin University examined the uh, impact of biodegradable polylactic acid, high-density polyethylene, and microplastic clothing fibers on earthworms living in the soil, as well as the ryegrass growing on top. After 30 days in the presence of uh, high-density polyethylene, which is used in the production of plastic bottles and carrier bags, they found that rosy-tipped earthworms lost on average 3.1% of their weight. Why, that's better than Jenny Craig. In comparison, the earthworms living in control conditions saw their weight increase by 5.1%. At the same time, study found that the presence of high-density polyethylene led to a decrease in the soil pH. Soil containing PLA, a biodegradable form of plastic, led to a reduction in the shoot height of the ryegrass. Both PLA, that biodegradable form of plastic, and clothing fibers led to fewer ryegrass seeds germinating. All right, then. Good stuff from your old clothing fibers. Just one word, ladies and gentlemen. Microplastics.
Well, holy, holy mackerel, ladies and gentlemen. I haven't thought of mackerel that way for a long time. But that's the end of this edition of the show. It's back next week, same time on the radio, on our uh, ever-decreasing number of radio affiliates. And then whenever you want it on our ever-increasing number of audio devices of your choice. Hi, Alexa. How you doing? Your skin looks sallow today, Alexa. And it would be just like Alexa getting that uh, beauty routine from um, that 15-year-old actress. If you'd agree to join with me then, would you? Alrighty, thank you very much. Uh-huh. A tip of the show chapeau to the San Diego, Pittsburgh, Chicago, and, and not in exile, and Hawaii desk. Thanks, as always, to Pam Halstead and to Thomas Walsh at WWNO New Orleans for help with today's program. The email address. Yes, people still use email. It's the nuttiest thing. The address for this program, your chance to get Cars I Talk t-shirts for your entire family, maybe even your pets, and uh, your guide to the music heard here on, all available to you at harryshearer.com. And like me, you could follow Derek Smalls at Smalls Life. Me, I'm on Twitter at the Harry Shearer. Derek's on at Smalls Life. And he may be coming to your town. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions that originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans, flagship station of the Changes Easy Radio Network. So long from Santa Monica, California, a community recognized around the world as the home of the homeless.